Hello, I'm Maria Titizian. And I'm Rubina Margosian, and welcome to the Week in Review for the week of September 16. This week we saw the largest flare-up of hostilities on the Armenian-Azerbaijani border since the 2020 Artsakh War. As a result of Azerbaijan's aggression unleashed against the sovereign territory of Armenia on September 13, 135 servicemen and one civilian have been killed, seven others sustained injuries. These are civilians only. We still do not have final numbers on the number of wounded um, among the servicemen. A ceasefire was brokered by the international community on the evening of September 14. On September 13, at 12.05 uh, a.m., Azerbaijani armed forces launched a major military operation, primarily using artillery mortars, large-caliber firearms, and attack drones along the Armenian-Azerbaijan border, specifically in the direction of Goris, Sotk, and Jermuk, and the surrounding villages. The attack came after days of Baku accusing Armenian armed forces of firing on Azerbaijani positions. The Armenian Defense Ministry reported that both military and civil civilian infrastructures were being targeted and that Azerbaijani forces were seeking to attain positional advancement. At 2.30 a.m., uh, this is the early morning hours of September 13, Prime Minister Nikol Pashinyan had a telephone conversation with Russian President Vladimir Putin. Armenia's Prime Minister said that the actions of the Azerbaijani side were unacceptable and emphasized the importance of an adequate reaction by the international community. Prime Minister Pashinyan also held a telephone conversation with the French President Emmanuel Macron, conveying the Azerbaijani attack on the sovereign territory of the Republic of Armenia in different directions of the border. President Macron considered further escalation of tensions unacceptable and stressed the need to defuse the situation. During an emergency session of Armenia's Security Council at 4.30 a.m., a decision was made to officially apply to the Russian Federation in order to implement the provisions of the bilateral treaty Treaty of Friendship, Cooperation, and Mutual Assistance to the Collective Security Treaty Organization, that's the CSTO, and the UN Security Council regarding Azerbaijan's aggression against Armenia. Shortly after, Pashinyan spoke with the U.S. Secretary of State, Antony Blinken, informing him of the situation and Armenia's decision to apply to Russia, CSTO, and the UN. Antony Blinken considered the future escalation of the situation inadmissible. He expressed the readiness of the United States to make efforts to stabilize the situation. At 5 a.m., the Ministry of Defense met with the military attaches of foreign embassies accredited to the Republic of Armenia and presented the situation created as a result of this large-scale uh, invasion. At the same time, Armenia's foreign minister, Arad Mirzoyan, communicated the situation to his Russian counterpart, Sergei Lavrov, and also held a telephone conversation with the U.S. Deputy Secretary of State for European and Eurasian Affairs, Karen Domfried. Minister Mizuan emphasized the need for an appropriate and adequate response by the international community to the aggressive and provocative actions of Azerbaijan. The Armenian foreign minister stressed that the Armenian side will make all possible efforts to counter Azerbaijani aggression. One of the first countries to officially make a statement uh, about this aggression was Ukraine. Um, this was at 10.20 a.m. The foreign ministry of Ukraine issued a statement urging the parties to a political and diplomatic settlement of the conflict in compliance with international law, particularly the respect of the sovereignty and territorial integrity of states within their internationally recognized borders. At the same time, Ukraine's foreign ministry noted the worthlessness, this is a direct quote, of any mediation and peacekeeping efforts by the Russian Federation that once again demonstrates its inability to fulfill any taken commitments. 
The EU Special Representative to the South Caucasus, Tovio Klar, tweeted shortly after that the fighting along the Armenian-Azerbaijani border and the reported intense shelling needs to stop immediately, adding that the EU is in close contact with the sides to contribute to de-escalation. That same morning, the Iranian foreign ministry expressed concern, emphasizing that Iran will not tolerate any changes to the borders of the Republic of Armenia and the Republic of Azerbaijan. The statement said that Iran is carefully monitoring the developments related to this issue and stressed the need to respect the territorial integrity of the two countries. Iran made several similar statements in the coming days, both as part of the official communication with Yerevan as well as Baku, noting that borders between Iran and Armenia must be preserved without any change, as Iran considers the border with Armenia to be a historical communication route. Artsakh's Defense Army denied accusations by Azerbaijan that the Defense Army uh, was shelling Azerbaijani positions near Marduni. According to the Defense Army, with such accusations, Azerbaijan is preparing ground to launch an offensive against Artsakh as well. Artsakh confirmed that the situation is relatively calm on the line of contact. Uh, however, as hostilities are taking place close to the Stepanagerdirevan road, traveling through that route may currently be dangerous. And luckily, we haven't heard of any escalation mm-hmm. in Artsakh since. Well, and at noon on September 13, Russia's foreign ministry issued a statement saying that Moscow brokered a ceasefire of hostilities as of 10 a.m. local time and expects the truce to hold. According to the statement, Moscow received Armenia's appeal to the CSTO to resolve the situation in accordance with the existing bilateral agreements and through the CSTO. In that statement, Moscow called on the parties to the conflict to show restraint and observe the ceasefire in accordance with the tripartite statement of the leaders of Russia, Azerbaijan, and Armenia of November 9, 2020, January 11, and November 26 of 2021. According to the statement, Moscow expects all issues between Armenia and Azerbaijan to be resolved exclusively through political and diplomatic means, and as far as border issues are concerned, within the framework of the work of the Bilateral Commission on the delimitation of the Armenian-Azerbaijani border with the advisory assistance of Russia. Clearly, that ceasefire agreement did not hold as uh, shelling continued throughout the day. And intensified at uh, at many points. Yes, Uh, A ceasefire which is still holding was established on the evening of September 14. The ceasefire was announced by the Secretary of Armenia Security Council, Armen Grikorian, on public TV. Later, the Speaker of the National Assembly, Alan Simonian, confirmed that the ceasefire was made possible through the efforts of Armenia's international partners. Simonian said Russia and France had their equal contribution in achieving the ceasefire agreement. However, the U.S. played a major role in achieving the No Azerbaijani official sources have made any announcements about the established ceasefire to date. So we're just going to try and go back and also talk about the many other events that took place that day. It was a very intense day, as uh, all of you can imagine. So just to return back to noon uh, on September 13, um, Armenia's Prime Minister Nikol Pashinyan addressed Parliament. He reported at that time that 49 Armenian servicemen had been killed. Uh, This was confirmed by the Ministry of Defense, and he noted that this number might increase, and it obviously did. 
And this was the first time we were hearing a number mm -hmm. of ca casualties. The Prime Minister said that Azerbaijan's actions are linked to the Nagorno-Karabakh conflict. Armenia's reaction to the five-point peace proposal was that we have nothing against it, but uh, Armenia updated the scope of issues, according to Pashinyan. Initially, Azerbaijan gave the impression that there is a mutual understanding in this regard, but in the recent meeting in Brussels, it was revealed that Azerbaijan refused to negotiate regarding the proposals made by Armenia. Pashinyan said Azerbaijan's disposition is the following. They do not want to discuss the Nagorno-Karabakh conflict with Armenia as they believe that the conflict is settled and that it is Azerbaijan's domestic issue, which they do not want or, or when they refuse to discuss with Armenia. And regarding mutual recognition of territorial integrity, uh, which is part of the five points in the proposed peace deal, Pashinyan said that when Azerbaijan speaks about Armenia's territorial integrity, do they also mean the territories that they occupied after the 2020 Artsakh war? And this means that the territories near Sevlij. Uh, during negotiations and talks, the Azerbaijani side states that they have no territorial claims from Armenia, but when the issue of demarcation and delimitation comes up, they state that Azerbaijan wants to reclaim territory that has been illegally given to Armenia, said Pashinyan. In official Azerbaijani rhetoric, those territories started from Nernatsor to Sunik and even included Armenia's capital, Yerevan. This is just not rhetoric. Azerbaijan's actions prove that it is a consistent policy pursued by Azerbaijan. And just today, we published an article by Datevik Hayrabetyan. Uh, it's called Listen to the Words of Dictators, Don't Say We Didn't Tell You, and it uh, is a comprehensive um, uh, indication of uh, Ilham Aliyev's statements starting from 2013, where he has, uh, where he's been pre preparing Azerbaijani public about uh, territorial claims against and Armenia. To start believing that Yerevan yeah. is Azerbaijan. That's right. Well, during that uh, address, the Prime Minister went on uh, to try and explain the context of escalation. We spoke with a political scientist Dr. Narses Kopalian earlier, who briefly presented his analysis about why Azerbaijan launched this offensive, and let's take a listen. Current assessments suggest that the uh, Aliyev government in ba Baku was under the assumption that the negotiations in Brussels would allow them to continue their course of diplomacy and achieving their set objectives. But to a large extent, the negotiations have not gone the way that Baku has wanted. And so they have resorted to utilizing force as a mechanism of enforcing Armenia to make concessions. So this is not a secret. It's something very observable. And the current uh, invasion of the border areas seems to be consistent with this pattern. Uh, there's also quite a bit of evidence that suggests that Azerbaijan was seeking to establish a buffer zone. In this context, the objective is to expand their military presence on the sovereign territories of Armenia to use it as a leverage for further concessions. So contextually, uh, the behavior of Azerbaijan is primarily defined by seeking to achieve political ends, but doing so by using military force. Late in the evening of September 13 at 10 p.m., an extraordinary session of the CSTO Security Council, chaired by Prime Minister Nikol Pashinyan, was held via video conferencing. Armenia officially applied to the CSTO based on Article 4 of the treaty, which states that an aggression against a CSTO member is an aggression against the CSTO itself. The session was attended by the President of Russia, the Presidents of Kazakhstan and Kyrgyzstan, the Prime Minister of Tajikistan, the Secretary of State and Security Council of Belarus, 
Belarus and the Deputy Secretary General of the CSTO. The extraordinary session um, decided uh, a working group will be set up to monitor the situation on the Armenia-Azerbaijan border, headed by uh, Secretary General Stanislas Zaz. The working group uh, actually arrived in Armenia on the evening of September 15, and Secretary uh, Stanislas Zaz is set to arrive next week. And throughout the first day on September 13, the spokesperson of the Armenian Defense Ministry was giving regular updates. Uh, little to no official information, however, were made public about the situation on the border and the number of casualties. Well, the first time we heard of the number of casualties uh, during the Pashinyan address, and as for any changes in, in the contact line or the border, there was no information. We just heard that uh, there was intense shelling and targeting of civilians. It was really frustrating for yes. us uh, because we had no other way to verify information so we were constantly waiting for the defense ministry updates and like you said Rubina they were quite um, not very transparent understandably but at the same time um, we had no idea, like you said, of uh, uh, military positions being lost, uh, how far into Armenian territory Azerbaijani forces had come into, but uh, we'll be talking about that a little bit further on in the podcast. Well, on September 14, Armenia's parliament adopted a resolution. Uh, the text reads uh, as the following. We express our full support to the armed forces of the Republic of Armenia in the cause of preserving the territorial integrity and sovereignty of the Republic of Armenia. We call on all political forces all our compatriots, regardless of political positions, to maintain calm and unite around statehood. Our homeland needs a united and strong front. We call on the international community to strongly and directly condemn the aggression unleashed by Azerbaijan's military political leadership against the Republic of Armenia, the gross violation of the UN Charter principle of prohibition of the use of threat or force against the territorial integrity of any member state. We expect that the UN Security Council will discuss the situation promptly and take necessary action. During a press briefing on September 14, Ned Price, the spokesperson of the United States State Department, announced that Washington has seen significant evidence of Azerbaijani shelling inside Armenia and significant damage to Armenian infrastructure. Price also called on Russia to use its influence in the South Caucasus region and put an end to hostilities between Armenia and Azerbaijan. During the second half of the day on September 14, Aram Torosian, the spokesperson of Armenia's defense ministry, reported that Armenian armed forces uh, were adequately retaliating. He also urged the public and media outlets to refrain from sharing Azerbaijani videos, which were either fake or were taken during the 44-day war. Torosian confirmed that a car belonging to the Russian um, border service was hit by Azerbaijani shelling. Torosian stated that the car was on a humanitarian mission. He also reported that as of 3 p.m., the situation on the border has had become extremely tense. The Azerbaijani armed forces had launched an intensive attack on the entire borderline from Sotk to Goris, targeting civilian settlements as well, uh, widely using uh, attack drones. Later in the day, Armenia's human rights defender, Christine Grigorian, announced that four civilians had been wounded. Her office said that since the attack against Armenia's territory, uh, just over 2,500 people had been displaced from their homes. That number today, we got a, a final number. Well, <laughs> nothing is final in this case. Um, 7,600 uh, people have been displaced from Kerar, Kunik, Vyatsor, and Sunik regions. The majority of the displaced people are women, children, the elderly, and persons with disabilities. Among those, 1,437 are children, and 99 are persons with disabilities. 
Well, that day, Anna Simonian, the Speaker of Armenia's Parliament, confirmed for the first time that Armenia has civilian deaths as well as suffered considerable losses of military equipment. During the Q&A session in Parliament, members of Armenia's government responded to questions from parliamentarians. The opposition faction did not participate in the session. Armenia's Prime Minister Nigol Pashinyan confirmed um, that at that point we had 105 servicemen that had been killed and that Azerbaijani forces had occupied another 10 square kilometers of Armenian territory in addition to the 41 square kilometers they had occupied last year in May near uh, Sevlic. And when speaking about demarcation and delimitation, Pashinyan said that the process must be based on legal basis and the maps that will be used must also have legal basis. The notion that there is no border between Armenia and Azerbaijan is wrong, that border exists and Azerbaijan is attacking it now, said Pashinyan, and Armenia will do everything to protect its territorial integrity and sovereignty. And this will happen also during the process of demarcation and delimitation. Our belief is that the demarcation process must be based on maps of the Soviet Union. He said, if Azerbaijan insists on relying on pre-Soviet maps, it must take into consideration that Nagorno-Karabakh was part of Azerbaijan only during the Soviet Union, not before. And then Azerbaijan has also ha- has to also explain its borders with Iran. He said. Certainly. Well, the geopolitical context in Azerbaijan's recent attack on Armenia is backed by the fact that when talking to the West, Azerbaijan, uh, this is according to Pashinyan, presents Armenia as a pro-Russian country, and when talking to Russia, uh, Baku presents Armenia as a strictly pro-Western country trying to create anti-Armenian feelings. It is true that Armenia has close ties with Russia and Western countries, but the narrative that Azerbaijan is trying to push uh, is wrong. This is the geopolitical context, he said. And when asked why Armenia has not declared martial law, and this is a question we've been asking also, Pashinyan said that the bill uh, of declaring martial law has been on his table since Azerbaijan's attack. It is a very serious decision to be made, and when necessary, it will. he said he will sign the document. However, today, uh, during the cabinet me- meeting, Pashinyan stated that there's no longer a need for mobilization at this stage because through decisions that have been made previously, such as the three-month training of a reserve troops, the issue of mobilization, for example, is is for now solved. According to the Prime Minister, with this latest attack, Azerbaijan is expressing its dissatisfaction with the results of the 2020 Artsakh war. As much as we are not happy with the November 9, 2020 statement, uh, Pashinyan said, there are three provisions of that statement, the Lachin Corridor, the Line of Contact, and the existence of Nagorno-Karabakh, um, which he, he deemed as you know beneficial for Armenia, and Azerbaijan is fighting against these three provisions. Another st- uh, statement that he made that over and over again, and this came true through when he was answering to several questions, he said that even though Armenia is not the strongest country in the world, we do not care what the others think when it comes to our territorial integrity, and we will not grant a corridor to anyone. This, this He kept repeating this idea. Pashinyan also stated that he is ready to make the difficult decision which will ensure the territorial integrity and sovereignty of the Republic of Armenia within 29,800 square kilometers of its territory, regardless of what will happen after that, even if the public decides to remove him from power, if this will ensure uh, and guarantee a lasting peace and security for Armenia. 
Well, this remark by the Prime Minister led to simultaneous protests in Yerevan on the evening of September 14. The leader of the 5165 movement, Karin Tonoyan, called on people to gather on Bagramian Avenue in front of the Parliament building. People also gathered in front of the government building at Republic Square, heeding the call of the leader of Hayot's Hyrenic party, Vartan Rukasian, also known as Dog, who apparently went live and called on people out and said the document had been signed. The protesters uh, were chanting Nigol traitor and demanding his resignation. Yeah, it got tense uh, several times during those, and, and they were fairly large uh, numbers, uh, and especially absolutely. in front of the parliament. Mm-hmm. Well, Pashinyan was quick to respond uh, with a Facebook post which read, Dear compatriots, I call on you, ask you, urge you not to be subjected to manipulations. No document has been signed and is not going to be signed. It is an information sabotage directed by unfriendly external forces to break the country's resistance. He also uh, shortly after went live uh, as protests in Yerevan continued in an attempt to explain his earlier announcement, saying Azerbaijan made uh, its five-point proposal. Again, this is about the peace uh, peace agreement. Armenia accepted that proposal, adding its own points to include the entire scope of issues on the agenda of the negotiations, including the security of Artsakh. We are announcing that Armenia's territorial integrity is not up for bargaining. Azerbaijan is demanding a corridor. Well, he went on to say that uh, his government will not sign any document which will undermine Armenia's territorial integrity in any way. He added that he has not signed any document. There is no document on the table to be signed. He kept repeating as we were watching the live, and none is planned in the near future. The Prime Minister urged everyone to gather around Armenia's data to protect the country's uh, territorial integrity. Well, following his life, the National Security Services of Army and the Ministry of Defense, as well as the President of Artsakh, Aray Harutunyan, made statements reassuring no document has been signed. Uh, Harutunyan uh, said that he is aware of all high-level international discussions that Armenia has uh, conducted thus far. He added that there is an agreement between the authorities in Armenia and Artsakh that any document that Armenia will sign on behalf of Artsakh must take into consideration the interest and will of the people of Artsakh. Harutunyan also noted that at the moment there is no such document and today a delegation from Artsakh arrived in Yerevan. Harutunyan himself was here and he was part of a, uh, a security council meeting with Right, Pashinyan but it's interesting, before he made this statement, he made a f- another statement saying that, you know, Artsakh could never be part of um, uh, Azerbaijan. Uh, and it was really interesting, right? So Pashinyan makes the statement in parliament, it triggers these protests, Pashinyan gets up and says, there's no such document, uh, everybody calm down. Uh, Alain Simonian also went line, he, live, he's the president of parliament, to sort of say this is not true. And then after he made, after Aray Karutunyan made that initial statement, then he, I think it was an hour later, that he made this statement saying that, listen, there is no document, everybody come. And it's not about the document, that there, there was like news that like we've given away uh, settlements right. uh, in Vyotzor, in, in Sunik, uh, in different places. So uh, There was general panic among yeah, the population. General pa- and this misinformation just, just like uh, exploded. So statements from the administrative centers of Sunik, Vyotzor and the Gerard region came in assuring that none of the region's settlements have come under Azerbaijani 
control and um, and all of this is happening as Ara Adam Tarosian, the Speaker of Armenia's Defense Ministry, is reporting that as of 8 p.m. on September 14, shelling has stopped on almost all sections of the border, and there have been no serious incidents. Um, later, we heard that a ceasefire had been established. That's right. So the U.N. Security Council held two sessions. One was a closed-door session and was an open uh, session. The second one of the U.N. Security Council, which commenced... Um, on Thursday evening, this is yesterday, uh, we're getting our days mixed up, aren't we, Rubina? Yes. Because it's been so intense. Uh, it's been a very intense two, three days that we think it's been weeks, actually. Uh, the session, uh, the open-door session, was based on Armina's appeal in connection to the aggression unleashed by Azerbaijan and called uh, by France. Most of the members of the UN Security Council used similar rhetoric, calling on Armenia and Azerbaijan to uphold the ceasefire achieved yesterday and to use diplomacy to solve outstanding disputes. However, we saw a pivot from several representatives. Um, you know, obviously they're using diplomatic language. They're not coming right out and, and, and saying certain things, but from their messages, it was clear that they were saying that Azerbaijan's operations, military operations, were an aggression and an invasion into Armenian territory and that they must return to their starting positions. Well, um, many representatives also said that they do not have uh, enough information to to understand uh, like uh, who's the uh, like who started it. These are countries uh, who have the best intelligence in the world, right? Yes. <laughs> Just um, for the record. Yes, definitely. However, uh, the interesting thing that we did not, uh, a lot of people are discussing is that the Russian representative used the word uh, Sunik uh, Oblast. Oblast. And also interestingly for me is that, yes, they were countries that, um, you know, obviously said Azerbaijan is the aggressor, but no one said Armenia might be the aggressor. There was this... Right, absolutely. Uh, this is very important, know, yeah. yeah. Um, and just, I think it's also important to talk about Armenia's permanent representative to the UN, Meher Markarian, um, who gave a really strong speech. And during that speech, uh, he said, currently there are seven identified POWs held by Azerbaijan. Um, as we speak, there are credible reports that Azerbaijan is planning to widen the scope of the military aggression, including from the side of Nakhichevan, Markarian said. And uh, talking of POWs at this point, um, there are uh, fears that there are more than seven uh, POWs uh, being held by Azerbaijan. However, regarding the seven, Armenia has already applied to the uh, human rights courts, international human rights courts, to, to make sure that they are... Yeah, to the ECHR, that's yes. right. However, speaking about the UN Security Council, Foreign Minister Arat Mirzoyan noted today during the government session that although no statement has been issued by the UN Security Council yet, the session should not be underestimated as many important issues were voiced by the participants, such as Azerbaijan's aggression, as you said, Maria, against Armenia and the peaceful settlement of the Nagorno-Karabakh conflict. Right, which goes against what uh, Baku has been saying, that there is no longer a conflict, it has been settled. So this kind of language is very important. Mirzoyan also expressed appreciation toward uh, the countries that dropped uh, this so-called both-sidism and condemned Azerbaijan's aggression. He also expressed disappointment um, toward those countries, and a country in particular, he did not specify uh, from which Armenia had higher expectations, but the perception is that he was referring to Russia. Well, uh, concluding this week today, the information we have during the cabinet meeting today, Prime Minister Nigol Pashinyan announced that the death toll of our 
of Armenia's casualties is at 135, adding that unfortunately this number is uh, is not final. He also stated that there are many wounded. Azerbaijan updated the number of their casualties. They are now reporting 77 killed during the hostilities. And the Ministry of Health reported today that four out of the seven civilians who sustained injuries uh, because of uh, Azerbaijan's attack continued to be treated in different hospitals. According to the ministry, one person, a civilian, is in critical condition and two are in serious condition. And again, I think I said it at the top, we still don't know. the. They just said many injured uh, among the, the military. We don't have a final number on that. Well, today, Andrani Kocharian, the head of the Parliamentary Standing Commission on Security and Defense, stated that Armenia, the Armenian Armed Forces reclaimed six military positions which had been taken by Azerbaijani troops. Kocharian stated that the number might change. Right, because, we again, we don't know how many positions we've lost, um, and I don't know what this six means, to be honest, anyway. Today, the representatives of foreign diplomatic missions and organizations uh, traveled to um, Vyotsor. They arrived in Jermuk. Uh, I think most of our listeners who've been to Armenia know that Jermuk is a, a beautiful spa resort town. Um, they went to um, to see for themselves the damage that had has been caused to civilian infrastructure and the situation on the ground. The ambassadors of the Netherlands, Great Britain, the U.S., France, the EU, China, Sweden, Argentina, as well as the Chargé d'Affaires of Georgia and representatives and military attaches of other embassies were part of that delegation. They were met by the chief of the general staff of the Army and Armed Forces, Edward Asarian, um, in Jermuk, uh, Asarian said that Azerbaijani armed forces have moved into Armenian territory in groups and detachments, adding that some of these detachments are now under Armenian surveillance, while others are surrounded by Armenian military units. And one of those uh, detachments that was under Armenian uh, surveillance was like only uh, four and a half kilometers from uh, Jermuk, and they could like observe some Azerbaijani positions from from the hotel. Right, and he was saying that along an eight point five kilometer of the border at some points Azerbaijani military units have infiltrated up to seven and a half kilometers into the territory uh, of Armenia now speaking about war crimes uh, committed uh, by Azerbaijani soldiers Edward Asirian chief of the general staff said that um, and this this particular story I think has um, made us uh, it's very difficult to talk about what's happened they um undressed and dismembered an Armenian servicewoman, cutting off her legs and fingers. Um, uh, w- one of her eyes uh, was removed, replaced with a stone, and some of the fingers were placed in her mouth. So it's just a, a horrific uh, sort of replay of what we um, experienced two years ago during the war. And, 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 it and the four-day war also. Yeah, it's absolutely. Not a, yeah, the beheadings. Well, uh, well, I know the the Germ Gropway was also kind of targeted, but it's nothing to talk about after, <laughs> after what that, we were talking yeah. about. So uh, we're ending this podcast in a very grave, somber, uh, in yes, a somber mood, which because, is our situation, right? Because uh, while the ceasefire is holding, uh, we don't know what the next, uh, even what the next few hours or the next few days will bring. For those who who want to have a, a more comprehensive chronology. We have been working, I don't know, too many hours, and uh, it's on our website. Um, You can definitely uh, go and take a look, and we have provided every bit of information that we can. Uh, We just didn't want to, uh, you know,
know, read all of that here during this podcast. Um, we will be publishing articles also in the coming days looking at sort of the geopolitical uh, reasons for this. Um, the value of CSTO. The value of the CSTO. And uh, another important thing that I think would be valuable for our listeners is that today Armin Grigorian, the head of the Security Council of Armenia, in an interview with Azad Uchun, was saying that, uh, sorry, I'm just checking my notes, um, that there is no more hope that the CSTO mechanisms will function to support Armenia in achieving the withdrawal of Azerbaijani armed forces from the sovereign territory of Armenia. He added that Armenia's demand from the CSTO has been to provide military and military political assistance to protect the sovereignty of Armenia. He said that has been our demand from the CSTO and it has not been fulfilled so far. Naturally, we are not satisfied in this regard. Well, they send a fact-finding mission. Right, and Stanislav Saz is arriving next next week. So thank you for listening. Um, As I said, please uh, do check out that article that we have, the live updates. You can also go to our um, social media uh, sites, um, and we also have a very active Telegram channel that you can follow. On, uh, so Facebook, um, Twitter, and Instagram, where we will try to continue to update the situation and hoping that we will have a peaceful weekend until we join you again next Friday for the next Week in Review.